Um, so am I. Uh, you know, the thing about it is, um, I think one of one of the things that we as fans can kind of suffer from sometimes is this. I don't want to say amnesia, but it, it's easy to sometimes lose track of where you've been. You know, right? Um, it's easy, I think, to like lose sight of. I'm I'm trying to find a like a a non get off my lawn kind of way of saying that there's a lot sometimes to 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 recommend about like the you know the past like the fact that I'm such a back issue guy you know this is something right. that I'm kind of very much aware of is the fact that you know damn you know it it when I was a kid I was obsessed with um, the comics that were coming out and especially Superman comics, right, that were coming out in 1990, 91, 92, and going forward from there. And right. it was kind of easy to lose sight of the fact that, you know, the stuff that came before this was actually really awesome. You know, this was really amazing. And I've noticed a kind of similar, almost amnesia that sort of sets in with these other uh, comic book movies where, you know, everyone was kind of losing their minds over Endgame. And it's like, well, you know, guys, uh, I understand that you're really interested to see what's coming with this movie, but man, just look at where we've been. I mean, look at look yeah, at all exactly. that. Yeah. So um, anyway, and that was, I guess, going to be kind of the uh, approach that I was going to take with uh, the the discussion, and obviously just kind of give the movie a, a little bit of adoration as well. So, uh, but I, I must say that um, I am. This is coming along at a sort of interesting moment. You know, your uh, your message said there's probably not a better time than right now. And uh, my uh-huh. pizza is supposed to be here, like, literally any minute. And so <laughs> there's a, there's going to be a, a second here where I'm going to have to put you down, go go and answer the door and let uh, uh, pick up my no, pizza. No, no, you're... Yeah, if you, if you guys are fixing to sit down and eat or something, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I can wait. Well, and, and the thing about it is, I've actually got the house to my myself this weekend, and so um, it's actually there's there's not a better time for me. So, <laughs> uh, but I had this. Um, I just finished up a, a little while ago. I, I recorded an episode with uh, Professor Allen, and it was this kind of laborious, notes intensive, um, almost like didactic kind of episode. So I was what I was hoping for with uh, the Iron Man thing is that we could. Um, have it a little bit more loosey goosey, uh, you know, and just kind of yeah. shoot the bull about the movie. Because, you know, speaking of things that the where it's easy to forget, I mean, the amount of money that Iron Man made, just the the success that it enjoyed, that didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, that was the same summer uh, as uh, uh, Clone Wars, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Dark Knight. I mean, there was some incredible competition that this movie had to kind of uh, bow up to. And right. the fact that it, you know, it was, uh, until The Dark Knight, this was the kind of out of left field, runaway success that only non-comics fans were predicting is, uh, I think, a testament to just how incredibly well-made this movie was, you know? Because um, I don't, like, will you tell me, like, wh- where were you at? Like, before the movie came out, it's the spring of 2008, and we've seen all of these different trailers and clips. Like, were you predicting that you'd love this movie as much as you did, or, or, or where were you with that? I, I've been thinking about that. I, are, are we recording? Are you? Uh, sure. Recording? Yeah, we'll we'll just say that we're recording now. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I, I didn't want to remember. Lucy I didn't want to wait. Right. <laughs> um, I've been I've been thinking a lot about that. I was trying to put my mind back to like where was I, you know, in in two thousand eight and everything. And you know, I, hopefully, I'm I'm not revising history, but the way I remember it was, um, not being terribly it, it was more one of these things of like oh this will probably be a train wreck you know because i mean now I, I think that that worked you know to to my advantage and, and i suspect for maybe a lot of other fans too because you kind of have to remember i think that you know there, there weren't at that point there weren't a lot of really great comic book movies there were a lot of comic book movies but there weren't a lot of really great ones there weren't a lot of really faithful ones and i think i was vastly underestimating where we were tech you know technologically in movie making because i mean i was never terribly invested in iron man i mean i like the character and everything and i i'd read you know uh, probably what is considered you know the the essential run you know being the 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 bob layton stuff mm-hmm. um but you know i wasn't hugely invested in the character or what but i just i honestly didn't think you know i i thought eh, i'll go and i you know i'm there may be things i like about it or, or whatever but it's probably not going to be very good and and uh and then wow. i don't think i went to it like when it first came out i think i waited a little bit and started to hear buzz and the buzz was really good. People were saying it was a really good movie and everything. So uh, I can remember distinctly uh, as the film progresses, and especially as it you know is going through the origin story of you know him in the cave, and when he walks out you know for the first time in the prototype suit, and he's you know just laying into those guys and using the flamethrowers and all. I, I remember kind of perking up in my seat and being like, "Oh my god!" You know, they're they're really pulling this off. This this yeah. shouldn't work, and it's it's totally working. And uh, yeah, so I I was very impressed with the fact that you know th- this kind of sets the tone for I, I think so much of what followed with the Marvel movies of it's very faithful without being you know, just religiously faithful. And I'm good with that. I I'm good with, you know, give me the flavor of the comics, you know, give me the flavor of, you know, the character or the story that, you know, if you're adapting a story from the comics, give me the flavor of that. You don't have to be word for word, beat for beat, but, you know, let me know that you've at least done your homework, you know, that you've actually opened some comics and read them before you made this movie. And this one really nailed that, I thought. You know, again, especially the origin sequence. I I continue to be impressed with that portion of the movie. And is that your preference with uh, with comic book movies that, or at least certain characters where, you know, maybe with certain characters you do need maybe more of a literal adaptation but others you can get away with just kind of stealing the 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 tone and the tenor of the comics. Is, is that how it usually is for you, or how does that work? Well, I, I think it kind of it sort of depends on the characters for one. But you know, when you, when you're talking about an iconic character, and it's and it's funny that you know I don't I still don't really think of Iron Man as particularly iconic. I, I think it's very important to remember that you know despite him going on to become 
essentially the the cornerstone and the main face of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was a I mean, was he even a B-lister when this movie was being made? I, I mean, he was my, not. No, my memory of it is he was like pure, like all of the Avengers really were pure C-list, pure C-list. I yeah. mean, maybe maybe Cap, but otherwise, no, I don't think any of them were in the big time. That's how I remember. I mean, I, I, at the time, you know, just prior to this movie coming out, I think if you pulled the average man in the street and said, name three Marvel characters, I don't think they'd be naming Iron Man. It'd probably be... Spider-Man, Hulk, you know, Wolverine or, or Captain America or somebody, but not not Iron Man. Yeah, no. Um, no. But anyway, to, you know, to answer your question, you know, I, I'm good with, you know, it doesn't have to be literal. It just has to, to capture that that flavor. It You know, I, I have a problem when I watch the movie and I just have this feeling of going, you know, did, did you even read the comics? You know, do you even know what this character is that, you know, this isn't an adaptation. This is somebody taking the name and just doing their own thing. I felt that way with, with a lot of comic book movies. Um, but with this one, I, I really could tell right pretty much from the get go that okay, you know, okay, somebody involved with this. I don't know if it's the the screenwriter, the the director, the actors. Somebody somewhere along the line said, you know, if I'm going to do this, then you know, it might be, you know, it might behoove me to to bone up on some Iron Man comic books. And I like that sort of thing. I, I like where, you know, somebody understands that I don't need to stray too far from the source material. You know, I, I hate when they do a comic book adaptation, you know, especially of something classic, you know, and by classic, I'm talking, you know, something that's had legs, you know, something like, say, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Hulk, you know, something that's been around for, you know, 30, 40, 50 or more years. I think it's important for people, you know, involved in these projects to realize this thing has had legs because there's something to it that people identify and and it drives me nuts when studios get their hands on these properties and the first thing that they want to do is you know go well we're throwing out all that shit and we're going to take you do our own spin that's a signal to me right away to save my money because too many times they've done that with you know all kinds of properties you know everything from you know comics to you know you name it and uh, and you generally speaking, that that's just not a good formula to follow, at least, you know, for the fans. You know, the, these things have fans for a reason, you know. Yeah. So, well, the. Uh, you know, when you were when you were enumerating your objections, one of the first things that I at least thought of, you remember that uh, Shaquille O'Neal steel movie yes. in the 90s? Yeah, well, it's like. There, I can I can buy into the idea that there are certain characters where the filmmakers really are caught between a rock and a hard place because Superman can't be connected. And there's the pizza. Superman can't be connected to that character. Uh, but tell you what, uh, can you give me a couple of minutes? Just go ahead and extemporize on steel and I'll rejoin you in just a second. I just got to get the pizza. Lucy Goosey. All right. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. But now your pizza's going to get cold, so... <laughs> oh, no, it's not. I, you, wait, are, are you suggesting that I can't multitask? If there's one thing I'm good at doing, uh, it's making time for pizza, so I can eat <laughs> and talk at the same time. 
right. So, um, but yeah, the uh, that that Steel movie from the 1990s. You know, they they could not tie this character to Superman, even though that's the only genesis of this character that makes any sense whatsoever. But that's still the hand that they were dealt, and yet. What that movie is, it's just so far away from the core truths of what that character, Steel, not that he's all that iconic either, but there is, right. I guess, kind of a comparison that he's an armor-wearing superhero who tries to do superheroic things, you know, arms manufacturer. I mean, there are some similarities there, and it's like, I, I can't, I've always kind of compared the first Iron Man movie and its brilliance, and it is brilliant i think over and against that steel film and it's like one of these was made by people who i would almost want to say they did it for love of the game you know the affection for this material is all it, it, it's inescapable i would say in every single scene in iron man and is utterly absent in in steel everyone there is they're there for a paycheck or you know because hey you know uh I'm trying to make a transition into film and this is going to be partly of, you know, how I get there. Um, didn't have anything else going on. This looks as good. I mean, it's, it's almost like you, everything that, everything about steel, it, it comes from a, from just the absolutely wrong motivation. And to me, the proof is in the pudding on that. Who the hell even remembers steel apart from the fans? <laughs> and they look back at it and think, Oh God, what a mistake that was. We're still trying to forget that, you know, whereas, you know, the first Iron Man movie put that character on the map and in the process established a, uh, <laughs> obviously a, car a, a cottage industry for Marvel. But when news comes down the pipeline, you know, uh, not only that they're making an Iron Man film, it's going to star Robert Downey Jr. as as Tony. Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's like, is it, oh my God, you know, why did it have to be him? Or is it going to be more like, is he even going to have to act in this movie? Because it looks like that's kind of where he's from naturally anyway. Like, where are you on that? It's funny, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, you know, putting myself back, I, I got to be honest, and this is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but when they cast him initially, um, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't go, you know, shout at the sky or anything, but I wasn't crazy about it because I remembered him as just, you know, the reputation he'd had way back when, when he was the bad boy, he was always in trouble. And I think it was drugs or booze or both or whatever. And he just had this, this reputation of being difficult. He was always in trouble and everything. And I, I gotta be honest, I just couldn't quite see it. Um, and I remembered him being a lot younger, I guess, than, than he actually is or, or, or was by the time he came to Tony Stark. So I was expecting him you know, from from a much earlier point in his life and everything. And I, and, and I didn't expect now, granted, you know, Tony Stark, especially in the very first movie is, you know, brash and, and somewhat immature and everything, but he's still more mature as a character than than I expected Robert Downey Jr. was as a human being at that mm -hmm. point. So I was kind of shocked with him. But I'm I mean, I think. I mean, you know, looking back, it's it's almost impossible to say, you know, that they made, you know, that they should have made a different call or they made a bad call or anything like that. I mean, I, I've come to really 
uh, you know, find the character endearing and, and I enjoyed, uh, you know, Downey's performance as the character, you know, each time he's been on the screen. So, I mean, he's so indelibly tied to that character now that it's really hard to imagine anything else. But at the time, um, I was kind of surprised that they didn't go a little more with Stan's original idea, at least as I understand it, that, you know, Stan envisioned something, you know, somebody much more like, uh, you know, somewhere across between like, say Sean Connery and, um, uh, what's his name? Hugh Hefner, or not Hugh Hefner. Um, oh gosh, what's his name? The, the inventor guy, the Howard Hughes, uh, Howard Hughes. Thank you. Yeah. My mind was, <laughs> yeah. Howard Hughes. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, for a long time, uh, Timothy Dalton was bandied about and everything. And I, oh, I, there yeah. was a time when I thought he would have been great, but definitely by 2008. Um, yeah, he was sadly, pretty long in the tooth. Yeah, he was just sadly too old for the role and everything. And looking back on it now with the tone of these movies and, you know, the tone of, of the first Iron Man alone. Um, God, I hate I, I hate to say it, but I I don't know that it would have been the huge thing it became with Dalton because I know I love Dalton. I think he's a, a fine actor. I think he's a very underrated actor, yeah. but he's very uh, kind of stolid too. You know, he, he's not, I don't think he could pull the humor off the same way. I think it would have had a much more serious tone. And I, with, with that particular movie and with that particular character, I don't know that you want to be all that serious. I think the jokiness works for that character. You know, the lightheartedness. It, you know, he's serious when he has to be, but for the most part, that movie's just a hell of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And fun is not something I necessarily associate with uh, with Timothy Dalton. So, no, know. and I get that. The um, it's just the reason that I ask is, um, you know, again, you and I are coming from kind of different corners of of the fandom here. So I'm not trying to, you know, upset you or trigger you or anything like that. When I say that news came down the pipeline, I want to say it was in uh, 2005 or 2006 or something like that, that Al Goff and Miles Miller, who were the showrunners and executive producers of your favorite show, Smallville, um, (laughs) they, they, they were, they were going to be writing an Iron Man movie. And, and so, you know, I, I I greeted that much as I would anything else. It's like, oh, Iron Man. Well, who the hell cares? Because um, I was thinking, you know, at that time, you know, when you said Marvel movie to me, if you weren't talking about X-Men or Spider-Man, you were talking about Daredevil. And I think it would be fair to say that Daredevil disappointed a lot of people, right? And now you've got these guys that are going to be uh, somehow involved in writing the script. It's just nothing about this just really seemed all that interesting, at least to me. And I want to say that there was some kind of shakeup with the, with the writers. I forget who actually got the final credit on the movie, but I don't think it was those two, uh, or for that matter, how much of their material is even in the film. But see, that's the thing is you just blew my mind. Cause if if I even knew that I, I had long forgotten it to a point that it feels to me like I'm hearing this for the first time. I, I never drew that association between, uh, between Smallville and, and Iron Man at, at all. And I <laughs> honestly, I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you who wrote, uh, most of the, of the Marvel movies, you know? So 
I, I guess that's one of those things. I, I pay more attention to the the directors and you know the actors and you know the people that score the movie, but the writers generally, I I I can tell you who wrote very few of my favorite movies, to be perfectly honest. So, All right. Well, the the. Um... I honestly don't think I cared about this movie like really at all until there was a, a clip. I mean, the trailers were great. Don't get me wrong. It's like, okay, so this actually does look pretty good. But the moment I was on board with this movie, there was a clip of uh, Tony. He was basically experimenting with his rocket boots and he's just kind of uh, bouncing all over the place in his garage. He's, uh, slowly hovering over his cars and God only knows doing what kind of damage to him. He lands back on the ground and says, yeah, I can fly. And it's like instantly understood like what kind of movie this was going to be. And it's like, okay, I didn't care about it before as much. Right. Now I do. And just to kind of like my own personal headspace, I mean, you hear these Star Wars fans I mean, less so these days, but but definitely, you know, 10 years ago, these Star Wars fans were still on the Internet and they were still absolutely losing their minds about episode one. It's like nothing had ever gotten any better for them, you know. And, you know, what a lot of people like, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but, you know, what I try to tell people is like, look, Superman Returns is my Phantom Menace. OK, that was the movie that just like. <laughs> sent me into like a fan just fucking depression for it had to last like probably like a year or something like that you know it it was it 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 was just it it was horrifying i mean every single thing that zach not zach snyder that uh, brian singer did in that movie it, it repulsed me you know it's like oh my god you went the exact wrong direction with this and this and this and this and this and it was it was just horrifying and then here comes uh, here comes Marvel as if to rub salt in the wound. It's like, okay, we're going to make our own movie. It's going to be about Iron Man, a character that like 90% of people have never even heard of. And it's going to star Robert Downey Jr. And look at this clip. Look at how awesome this is. And it's like, oh my God, I just want to eat a bullet. I, why can't I have a Superman movie that's this good? And so it was a weird, I, 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 what I try to, what I try to say is, you know, we all bring our own baggage to these things. I was in the middle of a fandom depression when, when Iron Man came out and it's like, I loved that movie, but it's like, it really made me sad in a lot of ways that why can't we get a Superman movie that I don't need super, I don't need Clark Kent to act like Tony Stark. In fact, I don't want that, but something that's of that same quality and why can't I get that? And Robert, but you know, the movie itself, I mean, you know, it was a, uh, so I, I did see it on opening day and I was surrounded by people that I knew for a fact were kind of mainstream, like straights, you know, and you can right. see like different moments in the movie as you look around the theater, when the light bulb goes off, like what this movie is and who this character is and, and all that. And I don't know if you had this experience, but different people had a different buy-in and uh, there was this guy who he, he looked kind of frat boy to me. That I got the idea he was completely he, – he was there because that's what a friend of his wanted to see, but he didn't care about the movie. He was not invested until Rhodey gets drunk on the airplane and you got the stewardesses there dancing around and then the stripper pole comes up. And now all of a sudden this guy understands Tony Stark, you know, and it's like from there on in. I mean he was leaning forward in, in, in his seat and he was just invested in it and 
he, of all things, that was his buy-in for the character. It's just so weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. You know what? What was it that really? I, I think it was a, a number of things. I think it was the the sincerity of the movie. You know, while it doesn't take itself overly serious. Um, at the same time, you know, it has, it, it believes in itself, if you know what I mean. It has a certain yeah. internal verisimilitude, and that, that goes a long way right there. Um, and Iron Man, I think, is a, a really good character looking back on it now. I mean, this is all with 2020 hindsight, but, you know, I, I think he, he was a really good character to try to establish something like this because he does kind of walk that line a little easier maybe than, than a lot of other characters of being a, a fantastic concept, but not too fantastic. You know, he doesn't come from another world. He he's not, you know, he's not been bitten by something radioactive or exposed to some sort of rays or something like that. He's a smart guy that makes himself a piece of machinery that allows him to do all these amazing things and it, it, you know, while it obviously could have been a, you know a complete bust and and be a turkey like say steel, um, you know done the right way like they did, you know you buy it and you buy into it, and that that was the part of the movie. You know my my buy in moment honestly was when he comes walking out of that cave wearing the the first suit, and. Yeah, yeah realizing you know when he actually walks into the sunlight because you know that scene starts very dark and yeah. you only kind of get glimpses of him but when he walks out and he's fully revealed in in the sunlight you know my first impression was holy shit this is the outfit from his origin story in the con this is the clunky armor and they're pulling it off they're making it what people are not laughing now i remember having that impression distinctly as I'm sitting in the theater, which, as I recall, was pretty much a packed house, mm -hmm. and nobody's laughing, nobody's snickering. That could have been the most ridiculous thing we'd ever seen on the screen, but they sold it. They made it actually work, that you believed that this guy, this genius, had tinkered this thing together in this cave, and now he's kicking ass with it. That's quite a feat. And, uh, you know, it, this this was, to me... The, the first in what has been now a very long line of successfully presenting things on the big screen that I never thought that, for one, I'd even see it. But if I did see it, you know, it, it, there's no way it would work, you know, and you can name all kinds of things, you know, from this clunky armor to the uh, the helicarrier and, you know, so on, all these amazing things we've seen. So I, I think that's rocket raccoon <laughs> yeah yeah there you go and you know so that's that's really the magic of of this particular movie to me is that you know wow you know they they pulled they pulled it off they made it work and i i honestly i gotta say i didn't expect it to because it was one of these things where you know forgetting i guess where we'd gotten to with with movie technology with with special effects and everything Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember or, or maybe to point out, you know, for, for younger listeners who, who, who didn't grow up with the same experiences that we do that, you know, 
I had come become very conditioned with comic book movies for one that they're not usually very faithful or very good, but also that it always felt like they were holding back. Now, initially the hold back was technological. You know, we didn't have CGI and we didn't have all these things. So you couldn't literally present what, what was in your mind's eye or what was in the comic books on screen. You, you had to work with the technology of the day. And some films did it very, very well, like Superman the movie. I think that still holds up very well. Yeah. And then other movies, you know, uh, say like, you know, the the Captain America telefilms or the you know the Amazing Spider-Man TV show and things like that. They were just hamstrung by you know low budgets and and special effects that weren't all that special because it, you know it, we just weren't there technologically yet. Um and. And I, I, gave, I guess I just became kind of conditioned to that. And then even when we got more advanced technologically, then a lot of times we still weren't getting the comics because then you're, you're butting up against either uh, budget, you know, studio budgets. They didn't want to spend tons of money you know, and, and take that risk. On, on Fantastic Four comes to mind. Yeah, yeah exactly. The original. Yeah, you, you look at, you know, Fantastic Four, I think, is a, is a perfect example. Now, I like those movies, both of them, but I like... No, I, I, meant, I meant the I, Corman one. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a perfect example. That movie has heart. I, that movie, I really feel, has its heart in the right place, and it's trying to present a good FF story. But yeah, I mean, what what really kills that movie is, I mean, it it looks like crap. You know, the effects are, are just horrible. Um, but I think even you know the 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 Fantastic Four, the films, uh, you know, the feature films, I, I think are a really good example of what I'm talking about. I mean, you're talking about comics that are iconic, that have stood the test of time, that are often cited as you know some of the best comics that have ever been. You know, the, this. You know the the original Lee Kirby run, and the yeah. characters and the concepts and all this amazing stuff. But when we get the actual movies, they're not terribly fantastic. And the and I suspect the reason why I, I don't think it's necessarily the casting, or the writing or anything like that. I think largely it's because the special effects were kind of sort of there. But in order to really bring you these these huge concepts that the that the FF is really all about would have required spending shit tons of money that I don't think somebody was prepared to spend, honestly. So we yeah. got FF on the cheap and it shows in those movies, which is a damn shame because I've I've long said I feel like like um, the second one, Rise of the Silver Surfer, comes this close to yeah. greatness and it just it, it fails to pull the trigger you know what i mean it, yeah. it it gets right to the edge and then backs off at the last minute and that's a shame because that's kind of we were starting to get to that point you know what i mean yeah and i i think we have movies like that to thank for the awesome movies that we we are now getting you know, generally speaking, at least from Marvel anyway, because I think movies like, say, Iron Man learned from that, that 
give, you know, for one, give the fans what they want, adapt the comics as faithfully as you can, and don't, don't be cheap. You know, you've got to spend money to make money, but also you, you have to make this stuff look and feel believable and look and feel a certain way in order to really, uh, especially for the fan, to please the fans. And I'm, I'm glad that some movie house, you know, that, that's adapting comic books gives a shit about pleasing the fans because the other big one obviously does not. And that's a shame because I think that's why they are where they are right now, but I'm, I'm not going to get into all that, but I, I think it's rather obvious myself. Well, there, you know, to your point, you know, one of the things that kind of impressed me about, you know, Marvel, it, I guess, tangentially relates to Iron Man, but it, it, it was a little bit after Iron Man. <clears throat> we got, a uh, we got a Hulk movie, and the thing about it is, I mean, this is there's no other way to put it. This is a, this is effectively it's a warm reboot. That's what it is, you know. And the reason it's a warm reboot is because there was that that um, Ang Lee movie from 2003, which I right. saw, and the thing about it was. As a comic book fan, I was sitting there and it's like, look, I'm not the most knowledgeable Hulk fan in the whole world. I mean, I've read a couple of uh, issues, you know, some a little bit of the Peter David stuff. And, you know, that's kind of interesting, but he's just never really been my guy. But I'm not an outsider on the character. Well, I'm not a total outsider on the character. But the I, that single fact, I think, is the reason why... I, you know, for us and people like us, we watch that first Hulk movie and it's the only way I can really describe it is that we are constantly about 10 or 15 or 20 minutes ahead of the narrative. Whatever's happening on screen right now, we already know where this story is going to go because number one, we know the character and, you know, number two, this, the movie itself if you have that as as kind of like your entry point, you know, uh, kind of a pa at least a passing familiarity with the Hulk, you already kind of know where the story has to go based upon where it's already been. And so there's really not a whole lot of surprises as you watch that first Hulk movie. It's, you know, the Hulk outs are fun to watch and everything. He tears a lot of stuff up in as G-rated a way as he possibly can. And it's it, there's just no real peril for any of the characters. It's like, Everybody involved in this movie is kind of like playing touch football or something. <laughs> now, you watch the the 2008 Hulk movie, and you've instantly got a, a more interesting leading man, a more interesting story, a more interesting cast in general. And everyone involved, you know, this is do or die for them, you know? And you don't feel like they're playing touch football with each other at all. You know, this is for real. And... You know, and then, of course, there's, you know, goings on with Blonsky and all that, which I was just I couldn't get enough of, you know, and it, you know, just as a holistic thing, you know, what this told me was that, you know, really these two movies, but we're supposed to be talking about Iron Man. But those two movies kind of said that these are going to be a very different series of films than anything that we've ever seen before, not just because of the fact that they can they don't really have the option of going too far away from the comics, although I guess there's that. But there's there's an ambition to these movies that is simply lacking in a lot of movies that that preceded it. Like 
a good example is uh, the first uh, not first time uh, the first uh, Spider-Man movie, the first Raimi Spider-Man movie. I have never seen uh, what I would consider to be a high quality version of Peter Parker's origin on screen. Raimi's right. comes the closest, but even he misses the mark, you know, because you go back and read Amazing Fantasy number 15 and Peter is a dickhead. OK, he really and he is a dickhead <laughs> for no reason. I mean, he could have stopped uh, the thief and he's like, hey, look, asshole, that's not my problem. That's your problem. OK, I take care of myself. And if you're not me, I, you can fuck off and die for all I care. I'm looking out for me. And that was his attitude. It was completely uncalled for. No one had provoked him. No one had done anything. He just let the thief go because he was an asshole. And then he pays the price. Right. Whereas in the Raimi movie, Raimi didn't want to turn audiences against Peter. And so he basically wrote it into the script that Peter was provoked. So when the thief makes his escape, it's kind of tit for tat. Peter got ripped off. So he's not going to stop that wrestling promoter from getting ripped off. He's kind of... He's still not justified, but you can understand where he's coming from now. And it's like that was just such a it doesn't ruin the movie for me because he still learns the lesson that he needs to learn. But it's, you know, you were this close, dude. All you had to do was cut that one sequence out and that would have been it, you know. And but I have to wonder, you know, did somebody involved in that movie just not believe in the character that they didn't want to they didn't want to take the risk of prejudicing you against Peter, whereas and Iron Man, he's kind of, you see Tony, warts and all, and no one seems to be all that afraid that, you know what, this guy is a war profiteer, a womanizer, maybe even an alcoholic, and no one seems to be all that upset about the fact that audiences may not like this. They believed in the material and the audience enough that they were willing to, to roll the dice on that. And obviously, it, it, I think it, they were uh, rewarded very handsomely for that, but it, it just shows an ambition and a vision, and I would say even a faith in the audience that we know you're going to stick with us, even though we're showing some of these characters at kind of a low point. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely it does. Yeah, I, it, it's funny, uh, you know, this, this Spider-Man thing, you know, the Spider-Man movie kind of fails for me in, in different areas related. <laughs> it's still to the origin, but... Uh, yeah, I, I've never been comfortable with uh, with the death of the burglar. Well, actually, he's not even a burglar in in that movie, which is another thing that bothers me a lot. I, I didn't like that. You know, I, I don't know if they were following the the John Byrne train of logic, where you know, what reason did this guy have to come to the Parker household later and and kill Uncle Ben? But I, I think they're missing the point with with that whole thing. You know, by not doing that, but. Yeah, the, the origin in that just I don't know. That that's one of the reasons I, I I've never been real high on the on the very first Spider-Man movie. Me either. And you know the second one and the third one. Those well, obviously the third one we like that, but I don't know. Anyway, now one of the <laughs> other things that I think um, kind of plays into the success of Iron Man is the rest of the cast. A thousand cast writers at a thousand typewriters for a thousand years. I don't know that anyone else would have necessarily cast, and of course now uh, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah. But where are you coming from with Jeff Bridges as Obadiah in that movie? I mean, how's that for perfect casting? Right. 
I uh, I wasn't real sure on that initially, only not because of Jeff Bridges, but only because I was a little bit shocked that they would go with that character right out of the gate like that. I, I thought that that was something that they they'd kind of work work up to, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but I think he works. I, I mean, I think he's uh, I think he's really really good in the movie. I find the the final battle between the two of them at the end a little. I don't. It's a little unsatisfying though. It it, it, it really? feels a little. It just feels like it happens a little fast because we've had. I feel like the film is well paced, all the way up until the big boss battle, and then all this. It seems like just out of left field, all of a sudden. Oh, by the way, Obadiah has you know a, a functioning armor of his own and they go into the big boss battle and then the boss battle doesn't really last all that long. It, it feels very video game-ish at that point to me, which, which is one of my few complaints with the movie. I, I never felt like oh. the big Ironmonger battle at the end was, uh, was, was terribly fulfilling. I don't, I don't know. Feel free to disagree. What do you think? <laughs> well, um, I guess what I liked about it was to me, um, Look, I'm sure I I would stake my life on the fact that you've met guys like this in your life, right? That they are they get by from riding on the coattails of better, smarter, more talented men. Uh, boss I've ever worked for, yeah, yeah. And a guy like Obadiah, the part of the thing about him that I always just truly terrified me is number one, there are people out there like them and you and I have both met them. Um, but number two, I mean, when they're backed into a corner as Obadiah was when, when they, when they think that they've got everything to lose, everything is on the table, you know, now obviously it's a lot because this is a movie and it's fiction, you know, Obadiah is a murderer, and I'm not talking about quite that bad, but, you know, whatever. We've all met people who are like that, who they don't have the same vision or ambition or talent or or, or just whatever else, and they uh, – uh, it's like they they never get recognized for their mediocrity, which is by the, by design, and they they basically live their entire lives – Surrounded by people who think that they're just amazing, even though the one talent that you can really say they have is knowing how to be in the right place at the right time. And that's who Obadiah is as he's presented in the movie. He doesn't have any real vision or capabilities of his own. He has to steal Tony Stark's, uh, I guess, Mark I suit, and then he kind of goes in a different direction with it. He it, it it's made bulkier and it has more missiles and it's and it's just it, it this is what somebody who has no talent whatsoever this is what he's going to do with the Mark One suit whereas Tony looks at the Mark One suit and said well look that was the best I could make when I'm stuck in a cave with all these psychopaths but now that I'm home the basic idea here is good I just need to fix this and this and this and that and he actually made by any standard a more functional version of uh, of the suit with Mark II and then in, into Mark III. 
And the idea of making something more compact and more efficient, and you don't necessarily need to have these gigantic missiles that are attached to it. That would never occur to somebody who is as mediocre. He's not He's not stupid and he's not brilliant. He's just right there in the center, like an idiocracy. He's just right in the middle. <laughs> he would never think that you can improve this design by scaling it down. No, you got to scale it up. And I think Pepper even makes a comment on that. She looks at the Mark I armor and she's like, wow, I guess I thought Stain would have made something bigger. Because I think she's got the measure of him pretty well herself. And then, of course... His suit comes out and it is bigger. It's like, you unoriginal prick, you know? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is that in the midst of all that character development, no, I, the, their battle didn't really bother me all that much. Um, I'm kind of curious how, you know, Tony, having admitted that he's Iron Man, you know, like, God, the lawsuits that must have been launched against that guy for all the damage he did to the cars and the freeway and the buildings and... <laughs> I wouldn't imagine he'd worry about it all that much with uh, with all the money and everything. I, I kind of imagine it's it's similar, you know, in the comics. It was always, you know, he was he had some sort of fund or, or secret thing or whatever that would pay for all the Avengers damage all the time. I, I imagine the, the the movies, you know, would would set something like that up as well. Hmm. Well, the um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was. Um, Terrence Howard as Rhodey. Do you miss him, or do you think we're better no. off with Cheadle? Oh, I, I I can't stand him. I really can't. And I know it's not fair. I know it's probably not very nice. But you know the biggest reason I don't like him? I don't like his voice. There's really? A, there's a part in the movie that every time I watch this movie, and this this is one that's on heavy rotation in our break, uh, break room at work. This one This one gets played a lot. And every time the, the scene where Obadiah has stolen, he, he's paralyzed Tony and then he stole the arc reactor out of his chest and left him to die. Yeah. And he ends up making his way down into the, the lab in the basement. Well, then Rhodey comes to check on him. And it's that scene where he, he walks into Tony's house and he's calling for Tony. Mm -hmm. And he says Tony's name like 15 times. And it's just, it grates on me like nails on a chalkboard every time he does it. Because it's just, wow. Tony, Tony. And it's it's just that, <laughs> I, I, it just makes me crazy. I'm like, <laughs> dude, you know? I don't know. It's, it's, I know that's not fair. And it's, like I say, it's probably not very nice. But yeah, I just, his voice just grates. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. He's he's not what I envisioned for, for Rhodey. But then, in fairness, you know, neither is Don Cheadle, and I, I love him as Rhodey. I really do. I think he's awesome as Rhodey, you know, in, in the other films and everything. But he's not what I envisioned as Rhodey either. So, you know, there's that. But. Well, there is a really obvious actor who could have played Rhodey that, to this day, I'm surprised it, it, that it just never happened. Who's you know? that? Um, well, do you remember that movie, Tropic Thunder? I've I've heard of it. I, I haven't ever seen it. I mean, I, I know the movie you're talking about. I've just never seen it. Well, um, co-stars Robert Downey Jr. and he's playing a black guy. Right. <laughs> and I thought, hey, why not? He's done it once already. He can be Rhodey <laughs> and Tony. <laughs> that so. would have been an interesting way to go. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm still trying to eat on the uh, sly here. <coughs> and I'm paying the price. So uh, a little bit of crust just went down the wrong pipe. Uh-oh. <clears throat> all right. So anyway, sorry about that. Um, all right. So now uh, just lastly, because uh, I know you need to get going kind of kind of soon here. Um, the I guess the, the long term or well, actually really short term uh, legacy of success with this movie was the fact that this this one came out in the summer of 2008. We got Iron Man 2 in the summer of, of 2010. I think if, like, you actually count it out day by day, I think it was actually less than uh, two years. It was off by, you know, at least a couple of days. Right. Less than two years later, they were able to get a follow-up uh, in, uh, into theaters. Now, um, here again, I think you and I have a sort of minor disagreement about Iron Man 2. Do you think that was ultimately for the best with, uh, you know, this series of films? Did you know? Is it for the best that we got Iron Man two in the summer of 2010, less than two years later, or was that the best idea that Marvel had at that time? Where where are you coming with that? Well, I mean, I, you know, first, you know, full disclosure, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm probably the the staunchest defender, you know. <laughs> of that movie that I know I really enjoy uh, Iron Man too. I it's actually one of my favorite not it's not only my favorite of the 3 Iron Man movies it's it still remains one of my absolute favorites of the entire uh, MCU and I know you know that that's you know that's uh, that, that's high, high praise <laughs> but I really I really do love that movie. I, I think it's a very well-made movie. I really enjoy the story. I enjoy the acting and everything. But anyway to to your point um I think it was a smart move because, and again, you know, this, a lot of this is now hindsight, but it helped establish, um, you know, a trend that we've seen continue to this very day of having something coming out pretty much every year. Now, both Iron Man and Hulk were in the same year. So they were same both summer. in 2008. Yeah. yeah two, same summer. So there wasn't anything in nine. I think a lot of people forget that because they tend to think, okay, you know, first it was Iron Man, then a year later, and then, you know, no. I mean, for, there, there was that gap. So I think the sooner they could have gotten Iron Man 2 out there, the better. Because from that point forward, to my recollection, we've had something every year after that. I, I do believe. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. Right. So, yeah, I think it was very important to, you know, to get that rolling. And you have to remember, I mean, there was so much buzz generated, not only by those two films, but by the, uh, you know, the tag scene at the end of the original Iron Man, and then the scene that was intended initially to be a tag scene, but it's, it's not really a tag scene, in the Hulk of Tony Stark coming in to talk to the general. Those two you know, start really created a lot of buzz and it, and it generated something, you know, and, and it, and it kind of set the tone of, okay, people are interested in this. Look at, look at the buzz that it's getting and everything. So then from there, Iron Man two, at least to my mind, Iron Man two is really the true beginnings of the, the Marvel universe in, you know, the cinematic universe. 
because that's where they acknowledge that, okay, you know, this, this little thing we put in with Nick Fury, this is a thing to people. You know, they're excited about that. They want this. So, all right, let's go with it. And we see that with Iron Man 2 because, you know, we start this world building. We bring in another character, actually a couple more characters. And, you know, you see the, the universe begin to be built and to grow at that point. So, yeah, I, I think it was really smart for them not to wait, you know, any longer beyond that point. I think they, they kind of needed to keep that momentum going. And, you know, people can say what they want. And I know it frequently, you know, frequently is cited as, you know, pretty low, you know, on most lists of, you know, MCU movies and everything. But you have to remember, I mean, that movie was still a huge hit and a huge success. And, uh, you know, the future films in the series uh, continue to mine things from that particular movie. So it was a very important and influential movie in the overall series, you know, whether you you know, it's one of your favorites or not. Right. <clears throat> well, the, uh, the the buzz that was, uh, that uh, came out after uh, the first Iron Man was, you know, all these different movies that uh, that had been greenlit. I mean, basically phase one, really, is, uh, is what we're talking about. And, right. And so, you know, there was Thor, which ended up becoming far more important to me on a personal level than I would have ever imagined. The one that I was actually looking forward to the most was Captain America, because that really did look like it was going to be, like they were going to go all the way with it. You know, this is going to be kind of like a, a kind of an action-adventure war film, period piece. And, you know, everyone involved seemed like, they, they all seemed like they... <clears throat> they were either taking a leap of faith like i don't really understand what this is or how it's going to work but hell with it let's put on a show you know or else it was <laughs> uh people who maybe had their own sort of personal investment in these types of movies you know I, I, like the rocketeer type of you know action period uh, period piece uh, type of movie <clears throat> and that was the one that i was really looking forward to the most and I can confidently say, <clears throat> not certainly say, but confidently say, it probably would not have happened. You know, if Iron Man had come along and just completely tanked it at the box office, you know, this thing was uh, just a miserable failure. Definitely, well, not definitely, probably wouldn't have gotten the first Avenger, you know, and right. Um, the fact that, you know, again, you know, this is something that people tend to forget about is apart from Iron Man those those phase one movies like Iron Man the 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 Iron Man movies all three of them and the Avengers those were undisputed box office successes no one can say otherwise but the other ones people tend to forget those were a little shakier you know it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion that there was going to be a sequel to uh, the first Avenger until, well, the Avengers movie came out and Cap was one of the breakout characters. But I mean, I remember that. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it, you know, think about what what that would have deprived us of. You know, if if that had been, you know, there was only ever one one Captain America movie. The amount of stuff that would not be on the table right now. And so, uh, but anyway, just to kind of tie it all back to Iron Man, since that's really what we're here to talk about. Um, this was just a. a, a 
a, a great time at the movies, and notwithstanding the fact that I was in kind of a fandom depression at the time, this, you know, this was just, it shined a light on a character that I didn't really think a whole lot about and made me reevaluate him and put him on the map with the public in a way that I don't think he's ever going to go back to what he was before. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think, you know, Captain or, uh, Iron Man is ever going to be a C-list character ever again. You know, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. I, I, I don't I don't think that I think the association with the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, portrayal of the character, I, I think that is the character now. Um, you know, you definitely see that in the way he's portrayed in, in all other media now, you know, from, from the comics to, you know, to video games, to animated series, to everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's had a tremendous impact on that character. So, yeah, I don't think he'll ever go back to the you know, to the comic book, you know, the pre-film, uh, you know, version of the character, which which is fine because, I mean, what was he terribly defined in the comics and, you know, in that aspect anyway, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, now, just one other thing uh, I, that I, I've always wanted to ask you about this, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you and I have not podcasted together and it's been almost four years, you know, so. When has there ever been Good a change, right? But, um, you know, there seems to be a common element. And, and we have to get into just a couple of in-game spoilers uh, to talk about this. But uh, So, warning. But, uh, you know, there's been a common element in, all, in, in the different, or in most of the different uh, movies that Downey has been Iron Man. Downey fi- finds a problem. And then he works really hard to outsmart it. And you look at his character growth, you know, all starting in the first Iron Man, going all the way through to Endgame. It, it's base. These are all basically variations on Tony discovering a problem, and then working his balls off to outsmart it. And then in the end game, we see what well, what the end game of that really is. You know, he was. It ultimately meant that Tony had to find, again, spoilers are in effect here. Tony had to find a way to outsmart reality. Now, how is that for a character arc for this character? You know, uh, what are your thoughts on, we've talked about his beginnings, now his conclusion. Um, that's a tough one because I haven't, I haven't yet publicly really made my, my, feelings known on uh, on Endgame mostly because I'll be honest I'm still kind of processing that one um, I've seen it twice uh, I, I went you know the, the opening weekend and, and saw it and I, I walked out kind of going did I like that and so I, I gave it a few days and then I went to see it again alone to kind of process it a second time and I'm still kind of processing it Um, it's an odd movie it's the only other movie in recent memory that I can think of beyond like say uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi that while I'm watching it while I'm in the theater seat and and watching the movie play out I'm enjoying myself and I I like what's happening it's after it's over 
and I start processing it and realize that that there's a lot of things that were done that I don't know that I'm cool with. That's where I have my hangups with it. Hmm. Um, and one of the, the big things I'm not sure I'm really cool with is, you know, you, you've already said it spoilers, you know, the death of Tony Stark. I, I just, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's a good idea, frankly, um, for a number of reasons, you know, first of all, that's going to, butt right directly up against the comic geek in me that says, well, he's not dead in the comics, you know, so where are they pulling this from? There's that, but then, you know, there's also, and I know this has absolutely no bearing on the, on the in-universe story, but there's also, you know, the bigger thing of how is this all going to work now marketing-wise? I mean, they've taken the big guy off the table now. So where are we going forward from this? And it's not just him. So you've taken him and Cap off the table as well. And I, I worry, I mean, for the first time, honestly, since phase one, I'm actually now a little bit worried about the MCU. It's like, all right, where are we going to go at this point when two of the, of the pillars of this property, you, you've now knocked them out, you know? And... I'm wondering who is, who's going to step up to fill those places. And I kind of got the impression that with Iron Man, that maybe they're trying to do that with Spider-Man. And I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if that's even a good idea. Yeah. And then with Cap, I'm, you know, who's going to fill that place with Cap? I, I, is, is that what Captain Marvel's meant to do? Or is there someone else that's going to step into that? So... I don't know. It just there's a lot of questions that have been raised. It, it's not even a matter of like or dislike at this point. It's a it's a feeling of I, I need a little more input. I need a little more information. And I think one thing that's really going to help is, uh, you know, it's it's I don't know. It's been confirmed one way or the other, but apparently at, at either the upcoming D23 or the upcoming San Diego Comic Con, one or the other, um, they're going to drop the next wave of you know they're going to reveal what's what's happening next you know what's coming next for us and i think that might help shade in a little bit you know what's coming beyond this point because for the first time you know since this whole you know roller coaster ride started we really don't know where we're going now because we don't know what's coming next yeah and i, I guess that really lends in a lot <clears throat> i my feeling of unease walking out of uh, of endgame is okay you know you, you you did this is this is it going to work or is it you know is it going to really come back to to kind of bite you and uh, i don't know i think it remains to be seen um i was i'll be honest with you i went into endgame i i feel like i'm the only one that walked into endgame not expecting anybody to die i really was hoping that they were going to avoid that because i think it's an incredible cliche at this point I, I didn't really see why anybody needed it. And I'm talking heroes. Yeah. Because there was all these, you know, memes and, you know, podcasts and all this speculation and everything about, you know, who's going to die? Who's going to die? Which ones are going to live? Which ones are going to die? And I'm like, why does anybody have to die? Yeah. You know, I can enjoy these movies without losing a single character. And so I was really struck that we did lose a lot of characters. Yeah. And yes. apparently we've lost them in a way that we're not getting them back. And that's again, I you know when when you're talking 
Now, I know that there were more casualties than just Iron Man and Cap, but when you're talking those two characters in particular in one film, losing both of them, apparently irrevocably, I I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess I thought, I could have sworn I read, maybe it was someone else, but I I could have sworn it was was a comment that you made on uh, Facebook that was, you know, sort of rah-rah, uh, Endgame. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, one of the things that uh, this was just a little factoid I, I stumbled across, and I honestly don't know if you've ever seen it, so I just thought I'd share it with you, and uh, maybe that can help give you some perspective. You know, just for the sake of argument, let's say that this is the end for those for those two characters that you were talking about. Somebody actually did the math. <clears throat> uh, they did the math on this, and they said, If the MCU, as we've known it up to this point, you know, before uh, Far From Home, if those had been comics, and and this is everything, okay? This is the feature films, uh, Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Netflix uh, uh, shows, you know, Daredevil and all the rest. If those had been comics, this would have basically spanned something like 20 or 30 years of of, uh, comic books. You know, that's an entire age of comics. And all of that was put to film in some way or another under the guiding vision, you know, at times directly, at times maybe indirectly of Kevin Feige, you know, the equivalent of like 20 or 25 or 30 years worth of comics, an entire age. And now all of that, rather than being a comic is on film or video, digital video, I guess. You know, that is huge, you know, and the, you know, there's a part of me, you know, we all have our our inner, like, 10-year-old, right? That part of us that's always going to be, like, the young comic book fan and is just starting out and, you know, and is kind of wondering, you know, where is this hobby going to take me? You know, where is my my collecting ultimately going to lead? And when I was 10 years old, I remember specifically thinking that, you know, I can't imagine ever seeing a Captain America movie, or if I do, I can't imagine it ever being really all that good, just based on the stuff that had been made up to that point. Or I can't imagine there being or, or, or any of a number of characters. And at least for Marvel fans, I mean, they've got that now, you know, and no one can ever take that away. And I guess the, the hugeness of this achievement that's gone on now for over 10 years yeah, that's really impressive, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the, the simple fact that we, we got these movies at all is cause for celebration. And then the fact that they have been really, really good, and, you know, some of them have been absolutely great. I mean, there's there's not been a turkey among them. That's amazing when you consider how many there are, the risks that were taken the characters that were covered, the the concepts and ideas and visuals that we got, many of which shouldn't have worked, that you know could have come off or should have probably come off as completely ridiculous or laughable. And we didn't, I mean, that's not how it's played out. It, it's been embraced. It's been incredible. It's It's been an absolutely amazing ride. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I often wonder 
you know, for for young people that have grown up with these now that never really knew a time before the awesome comic book movie, you know, before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, do they really appreciate what they've got here? Because we did, you know, I, I grew up in that age where, you know, you suffered through absolute garbage when it came to comic book adaptations because it's all there was. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, it's true. And, and you were thankful to get them. And, uh, and, you know, now it's it's amazing, you know, that some of the stuff that we've got and the characters and, and, you know, again, just the, the pure, you know, just on a pure visual level, some of the things that we have now seen in the Marvel movies, you know, put to screen that, you know, are, are concepts or ideas or visuals straight from the books themselves that I never thought, you know, many of us never thought that you would ever see that on the big screen. That's pretty amazing. That That's, I mean, that is definitely worth celebrating. It, it's been, you know, it's, it's just been incredible. Yeah. And, uh, and we live, you know, we live in great times to be a comic book fan. You know, particularly a Marvel comic book fan. Mm. Well, uh, that was uh, uh, basically all the questions that I had uh, written up here. So, um, before we call it a day, though, uh, you know, and it just given that it has been so long, I mean, I know which podcast network I'm on, but just for the sake of anyone listening who's semi-retarded, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? <laughs> um these days, primarily, uh, you can find me on the uh, on the Two True Freaks feed on the show Back to the Bins. That's primarily uh, that's the only one I'm on with any sort of semi regularity these days, just for scheduling reasons more than anything. But uh, but I mean, there's uh, there's a pretty amazing backlog of, of other things that you can find me on as well. You know, from the original Two True Freaks shows to you know, tales of the Justice Society of America to, you know, you name it. You go down our feed list and uh, I've probably been on <laughs> at least half the shows that are that are on that <laughs> feed. So well, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Well, look, one of the things that's been going on here is, um, you know, as a podcaster, I've incurred a tremendous amount of podcasting debt, you know, <laughs> and I paid off one of them, you know, in this episode. I promised you an episode about you know, Iron Man 10-ish years later. And so, you know, we got that. But, I mean, I've got debts out the wazoo. I still owe you a, 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 a Shoot the Shit show. I owe Jeff Doka show. I owe Chris Honeywell a couple of shows. Scott Rifen a couple of shows. You know, on down the line. So, but um, anyway, thank you for uh, taking the time to, uh, you know, join in and share your thoughts. And, I'm look, just... I do need to say I am sorry... <laughs> that it's taken this long to get you back on trust me it's nothing personal it's just been <laughs> wacky times for five years so um but yeah i do want to have you back uh, again at least for the uh, you know shoot the shit show but thanks for you know joining into this and uh at least as it goes for for iron man you know i i do believe that uh, that is everything um, unless you, is there anything else you want to throw in before we we call it a day I, I like the the list of uh, debtors that you ran down there. So uh, you know, if you want to get all those guys together uh, in, in the same room and uh, and we do a massive uh, shoot this shit show, I would totally be down for that because that sounds like that would be a riot. 
Well, right. I mean, you know, who of us has like eight hours to spend in this one? So, but um, uh, so I think that's pretty much it for this week. But as to next week, uh, you know, six year anniversary for me. So, uh, but I think wow. that's pretty. What? I said, wow! Congratulations. That's awesome. Oh well, thanks. Thank you very much. You know, uh, honestly. You know, I'm not trying to, again, not trying to put you on the spot, but the only reason it's six years is because of you. I mean, you guys offered me a spot on your network right at the moment that I needed to save money and spend it someplace else. So it, it all kind of goes back to you. So thank you for six years. So, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think that's pretty much it for me. Next next week, I'm going to do an, uh, an, the six-year anniversary of my show where I fan my own balls for a while about how awesome I am. And uh, I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. <laughs> we are out. So That was fun. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, had, a, I had a ball with it. Um, I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And 
Just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>